1: As the year 2021 draws to a close, we thought it would be interesting and informative to geek out on the weather events that impacted the United States in the year 2021. And we have a unique set of guests. Our guests are the Weather Geeks meteorologists. As you may know, this is a show done for and by meteorologists. And today I am joined by some of the Weather Geeks meteorologists that bring you the show every week. Let's geek out on the 2021 weather. Well, this is really exciting. Uh, I'm going to let our weather geeks panelists for today introduce themselves. I'm going to start with Josh Vexler.
2: Well, I'm the only non meteorologist, non scientist here. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but he's a key am,
1: part of weather geeks. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. I'm part of the weather, weather geek. Um, this, uh, I, I'm the booker. I'm the network booker, oh, Weather God. Channel network booker, and I also get to. To work with you and, and talk to some really uh really fantastic people it's been a lot of fun
1: yeah it's really really been amazing and we appreciate what you do for the show josh uh, let's next go to sarah dillingham
0: hi well yeah um i was uh, previously with the weather geek team for a couple of years um i'm a former senior weather producer at the weather channel um and just recently as you guys know um came online with uh, the insurance institute for business and home safety um there i'm serving as a or here i should say <laughs> Serving as senior director for product design, um, so we're kind of um, helping to communicate the great research that we're doing in our lab uh, to help uh, build stronger structures for both residential and commercial groups. And um, yeah, obviously with the the weather that we've had as of late, uh, that's been a big focus. So uh, so yeah, I'm happy to join you guys for for a wrap up and see the team again.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm an amazing amazing job Sarah has done over the last couple of years with the other geeks and all aspects of the of the show that you hear Uh, and and now she's passed the baton i believe on to jd ishroon so jd why don't you come on and again after we do the intros we're going to dive right into the 2021 recap but i want to start with the severe weather uh in december but before that jd tell us a little bit about you
3: so uh i have been at the weather channel for about a year and a half now uh i'm a current senior weather producer and then uh also work on the Weather Underground programming uh, for the Weather Channel as well. Before the Weather Channel, I did 15 years on air, bouncing around the country as a lot of people in the broadcast uh, side of our profession do. So, but Atlanta's always been home for me. I was, you know, one of the few who's born and raised here. So, um, you know, it was just time to come back home. It's getting a little later in life, be with family, and so that's what brought me to the Weather Channel and eventually uh, to the Weather Geeks family, where Sarah has been mentoring me over the past year, and then kind of handed over the baton now that she has uh, uh, gone to the next chapter in her life. So uh, I'm very excited to be here.
1: Yeah, and I'm uh, shout out to a fellow native Georgian. I was born and raised in the Atlanta area as well, and I know Sarah's a native <laughs> Georgian as well from Dalton, Georgia. So, uh, Josh, we we we're, you're an honorary native Georgian, I guess if you weren't born here, <laughs> moved here when I was two, so was close enough. Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> well, let, let's get right into this. We're we're recording this in mid-December, and literally a few days, uh, we're going to reflect on the entire year in terms of the weather events and impactful weather, and your thoughts. I'm going to start with Sarah, because I know she actually has quite a bit of expertise in tornadoes. She did her master's degree work at one of the top uh, universities studying tornadoes. We saw the uh, tornado activity in the Mid-South in the the weekend prior to us taping this. Sarah, what are your initial thoughts on that event?
0: Oh, gosh. You know, it's, I mean, you know, if I had to pick a word, you know, heartbreaking, right? I mean... You know, we know um you know from our time at the Weather Channel, we've covered, you know, countless severe weather events and you know, you always remember the big ones, right? I mean, a, a lot of them are, are impactful in ways, but then there are the big ones like the 2011s and the Joplin's and now you're going to hear the Mayfield tornado and the um, the outbreak of mid-December um that's going to be one for the record book. So you know, the devastation that we've seen is is far reaching. I mean, it, it's complete in some towns um, and just to know I, what's going on right now. I mean, you're not only just trying to still eventually pick up the pieces of your life, but I mean, we're still searching for survivors and, you know, unfortunately those who are, are still missing. So um, just a tragic event, um, you know. In the South, we're in mid-South. You know, we're not really a stranger to cold season tornado events. It's something that they, as, over the years, we've uh, really started to, you know, kind of expect that that was a possibility. Um, but an event to this magnitude and this scale, um, we're certainly not used to uh, at any time of the year. Uh, this was a bad one.
1: Yeah, JD. I know you are there at the Weather Channel, and you were you produced some of the shows. Uh, how how early on were were you at the weather channel talking about the possibility of this event because from the perspective of a warning I, I i wrote about this in forbes a, a couple of days out i know the weather service spc had outlets out there were warnings out um what what is your perspective on how how uh, much time in advance uh, you were all giving were giving at the weather channel? Uh, We were
3: talking about it days in advance as well and kind of following the story as it came through, because when the SBC put out their outlook, um, I, I believe it was a slight risk of severe weather a few days out. So we were we were talking about it. Uh, at that point as well. And I do believe because when we were following the system as it was moving from the West to the East, you know, even uh, I think I recall Dr. Nab was looking at it one day and it was on air. He was doing one of his expert segments and he was showing the potential. Um, for that severe weather to come up because we had so much warm air ahead of the front. We just kind of had all the ingredients. And I believe someone had said, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this gets upgraded, you know, down the line. And sure enough, it did. The closer we got to the event, you know, we went from a slight to an enhanced risk. And then we went from enhanced to a moderate risk on the day of. So there were several days where we were kind of following it all leading up to the event itself.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. And yet with this event, I'm- still tragic loss of life. Um, Josh, I know you have been likely... Uh, fielding guests and talking with people interacting with the weather channel. Uh, this was really a cross societal event in the sense that there were people uh, that lost their lives working in the Amazon uh, fulfillment center, uh, I believe in a candle factory and in homes and businesses. I mean as someone that's sort of looking at this landscape at the weather channel from your, your lens, uh, what 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 strikes you about this particular story?
2: I think in particular with tornadoes for some reason, but this one, um, it's, it's really the, you know, you get all these briefings from the officials and everything, but there are some really, um, heartwarming and heartbreaking stories that come out of this. Uh, I mean, you see, uh, stories of, you know, pictures being strewn a, a hundred miles away and the being, you know, family, seeing the pictures of, of loved ones that have been lost. Uh, the, I know there are a couple of people who've just packed up grills and gone to Mayfield to help, um, you know, feed people and, and music though there there's a community feel that when I'm, when I'm looking at this, these are the people that we're looking to talk to, um, you know, we, we have the science, we know the officials are gonna, you know, put something out there, but it's, you know, how the community really comes together that I think really you know, humanizes. A, you hear the Amazon building collapse, and oh, that's awful. But when you hear the actual stories, I think it really helps hit home what it is we're dealing with.
1: Yeah, and all of you are at the Weather Channel, and so you 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 have a role of communicating. I actually had someone tweet me today. I mean, literally, as we're taping this on December fifteenth, there's another threat of weather, and I know uh, JD is actually multitasking as he's taping the show and sort of keeping his eye on planning for today's events. But I had someone tweet me this morning, and like, what are the differences between enhanced and slight? Uh, someone said I actually find that more confusing th- confusing than weather uh, uh, watch versus warning, and I, I tend to agree. Uh, I, I think people, you know, when they see, you know, you you know, you heard J.D. talk about, you know, we were in slight and enhanced and marginal. I mean, this is meteorological lingo. How do you all at the Weather Tramp channel? Uh, bridge that gap in terms of uh communicating and trying to make this reasonable to people that may be listening or watching jd i'll come to you first
3: well i think one of the things that we do here and i've done it at other stations that i've worked at as well is you try and simplify the scale so we got ha- you know we have marginal slight enhanced moderate high when we're talking meteorologist to meteorologist we all know what that means but when you're talking to a viewer you're right it absolutely does get lost in the shuffle you know is enhanced more than slight where does everything kind of come in so i think what a lot of times we'll try and do is put it on a scale so you know we'll tell you that you know we have a marginal risk for severe weather today that's a one out of five you know you have the slight risk that's a two out of five enhanced three out of five and so on until you get to a high risk which is extremely rare i think when you can put numbers you know and you know we're just A scale to things that kind of helps, especially when you can see and imagine like, oh, this is the three out of five. Today's a four out of five. And in fact, while we're recording this, that's what we're uh, trying to plan for is today is a moderate risk. That is a four out of five on that severe weather scale. And that tells you, oh, We really need to pay attention to this particular weather today because things could get very real and very damaging in a very quick amount of time. So I think that's one of the ways we do it is we actually just put a number to that. That's a lot easier to understand.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And we are society used to hearing numbers, whether it be the Saffir Simpson scale or so forth. Sarah, let's geek out on the meteorology a little bit because, you know, we do get tornadoes in December. We don't have a tornado season in the same way that we have a hurricane season. Uh, we know that we can have, they're somewhat rare in December, but they do happen. I recall other outbreaks. Um, meteorologically, what what's going on, Sarah?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, with this particular event that we had uh, last week, um, you had um, a large area of warm air. We had above average temperatures um, in the eastern half of the U.S., uh, particularly in the southeast and mid-south, uh, where you had dew points that were in the 60s and 70s. That's not something that you typically see this late in the year. Wow. Um, that is more like a, right? I mean, that's more like a mid, mid-spring type event. And often in these cool seasons, uh, you know, we'll, we have something called like high shear low cape environments where you will get the strong upper level trough to dig down uh, over a region. Um, you have a lot of wind shear, but you don't often have the gulf moisture return that can then lead to um, plenty of moisture to generate thunderstorms and that warmth as well. So you get that instability that we talk about, you know, that uh, very warm, moist air closer to the surface. And then when you get these upper troughs come overhead, they bring the cold air aloft. So that creates that imbalance vertically, which we call that atmospheric instability. So in this particular case, we had a strong upper level trough that was bringing an incredible amount of shear on the the winds at about 5,000 feet, um, which is kind of like that zero to one kilometer um, area that we talk about. I mean, the shear values were insane. We had 60 to 70 knot winds at 5,000 feet, and so they not only changed in speed with height, they changed in direction with height. And it is that speed shear. Shear is just a, a change, right, in in wind speed or direction. Well, we had both, and for tornadoes, that's what you need. You need a change um, in both wind speed and direction as you go higher up in the atmosphere. So. Uh, When you couple that environment with the uh, amounts of instability, um, one of those measures that we call, you know, as meteorologists know, is called CAPE, uh, CAPE, which stands for convective available potential energy. And those values are around 2000 to 2300 joules per kilogram, which is, um, you know, that's moderate to high instability in those areas. So it was just a region prime for that. And with the instability that we had, you were able to see these updrafts sustained for long periods of time and ended up with long track supercells and in this case, some of those long-track supercells, particularly the one that went through Mayfield and other areas, um, stretched on for you know, more than 200 miles. And it's these long-lived supercells, and thus this one created a long-lived tornado uh, or possibly tornadoes as well, right? We're still doing the damage surveys to find out if we're going to have one continuous tornado or multiple tornadoes within this supercell. But either way, we know that these tornadoes were strong and devastating.
1: Dr. Marshall Shepard and we're talking with the Weather Geeks meteorologist and former Weather Geeks meteorologist uh, Sarah Dillingham uh, and JD Disharoon and we also have uh, Josh Fechler of the Weather Channel who's uh, very much part of the Weather Geeks uh, team as well Josh um, again I mentioned you know one of the stories here is the um, you know activity We, we focus on telling people in their homes not to rely on sirens completely because they're for outdoor warnings and We ask people to think about what they do in these cases where a tornado may happen at night. I wrote about uh, the worst case scenario aspects of this. They were nocturnal tornadoes and we know that those are a problem. Uh, I often argue that people have a night plan plan. I wrote an article uh, a couple of months ago talking about brush your teeth and check the weather or something to that effect. Um, And then we also know there's a particularly long track in some cases as well. I think the National Weather Service is still doing their assessment. You're someone that works the Weather Channel, so I probably shouldn't ask this question this way because I, you know, because I know we often as meteorologists tend to run to the windows when there's this type of weather. But uh, in an organization like the Weather Channel or others, I mean, what 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 do you do or what when you're in a work environment? And there's a threat. And I know there's been cases of this because I was actually at the Weather Channel one time taping a Weather Geeks television show and there was a threat. Uh, We were mostly underground, as I recall. So I think we were pretty safe. But uh, what are your thoughts on how we react in workplace environments?
2: Well, I think, you know, the Weather Channel is unique in a lot of ways, not just, you know, we know if something's coming, there's nobody. Else, I'd rather be around, Um, and you know, uh, uh, our main studio is underground, so there there are places for us. Um, I I think you know, I I I can't I can't speak for too many other places, but I know for me, and knowing that general safety net that I have, I always think about okay, where's my family and connecting with them. I know, as meteorologists, you get this way more than I do but if I had a nickel for every time somebody asked me if it was going to rain or storm or whatever I mean you know it's it's that kind of thing I, I, my wife actually jokes with me that I know what's going on in Minnesota more than I do in it <laughs> because my job is to look uh, countrywide so anyway I, you know there needs to be a I, I would think there needs to be a routine like you said for us it's uh, draw the bath for the kids and look at the weather for then you know the night and the next day to see how to dress them. but that's that's us. Um, you know, I, I, we've talked a lot about how um, to flash and other companies that are advocating for better building codes. So I think that's that's where companies need to lean is make sure there's a safe place. and you know you're protecting people that way. Um, and of course, send out aware alerts if if there are any.
1: Yeah, and I, before we go to the break, I did want to just touch on, and if anyone else has anything to add to this, there's been a lot of discussion out there, and I, I've been fielding calls left and right about, oh, did climate change cause these tornadoes, or what's the role of climate change? And of course, that question is going to come up. But I mean, I want to caution that um, the observed trends that we've mostly seen in tornadoes is, uh, in the last 30 years is because of better observation capabilities, Doppler radar, dual polar radar. Uh, having said that, there are some research uh, studies by people like Victor Gensini and Walker Ashley and Tom Mote and various others that have talked about the environment uh, that by which uh, we might have conducive uh, severe weather in the future and, uh, changes in shear and stability that Sarah was talking about earlier. Uh, I would caution, though, there are not many studies out there in the peer-reviewed literature that show a direct connection between tornadoes and climate change. At this time, I I was on a National Academy study that sort of affirmed that convective weather has the least amount of conclusive understanding right now as it relates to climate change. We have much more understanding of the linkages between say drought and extreme rainfall and so forth. So again, just want to caution there as you hear that discussion does not mean we will not ultimately find connections and more conclusive links, but that I just want to kind of be a little cautious there. And if anybody else has anything that, to sort of throw in there, uh, feel free to do so. Uh, otherwise, uh, one last thing, Sarah, your organization that you currently are with is thinking about some of these things that Josh just mentioned about building codes and building structures. Tell us a little bit more about what you all are up to there.
0: Yeah, so um, here at the lab, um, we have a large test chamber. This is kind of the research arm um, of IBHS. Uh, And here, we're basically building full-scale models of homes um, and testing to see how they withstand various perils. Um, Wind is obviously one of those. Wind-driven rain, as relates to hurricanes, is another um hail we do a lot of testing with uh, roof impacts and how um, various roof coverings can hold up particularly asphalt shingles which are on a majority of homes um but what we do the reason we do this is we kind of look and see like okay if we're doing all this stuff to these structures built to a certain specification certain code or standard um how do they hold up against these various threats um you know one one thing that we have done research on here in the past and we've noticed in some of the tornado damage that we've seen is garage door failures. And what that does is that is just a pathway for wind to get into the home. you guys have probably heard one of those old brides tales about, oh, and the tornado is coming open all the windows to release the pressure. It's not what you want to do at all, right? You're like screaming, no. Um, But right, yeah, you you want to keep the wind out of your home because keeping the wind out of your home means that you're not having those pressures being exerted on on, on the structure interior, um, on the interior of the structure. So you want to keep the wind out. um, And so when you have these weakened pathways where the wind can get in, then that's when we can start to see um, larger failures uh, within the home, whether it be the walls and then the roof. Um, that kind of thing so so you know when, when we look at this kind of damage you know we can see right how uh, widespread the devastation is and how extensive however we do still have to wait for those ground crews to get in there and really do the research and dig into how these structures were um, built and um, to what codes Kentucky actually has pretty good codes they're actually pr- um, pretty up to date um, but it's the age of some of that infrastructure that the codes may have been different when some of these were built so that's what the Weather Service um, and engineers are going to be doing in the coming days and weeks as they survey this damage to see how are these particular structures constructed um, and, and, you know, how did they hold up and where could some of those failures have been. So until we get that ground truth, um, you know, all we're doing is just speculating about ratings, right? So. Uh, like you just you know cautioned about climate, that's also one of those things as far as you know, how did the damage occur, what was the intensity. It may not have been a five. We, it may have been. We just don't know yet. So um, that will bear out in the coming
3: weeks. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95.
1: And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with weather geeks, weather uh, aficionados, weather experts, professionals. Uh, These are the meteorologists uh, and and professionals behind the Weather Geeks podcast, but they know the topic. And so we are reflecting on the 2021 year from a weather perspective. We spent a good time in that first block on uh, recent tornadoes. I wanna now shift to another significant aspect of 2021, and that was the hurricane season. Uh, Another record hurricane season for the first time in human history, back-to-back hurricane seasons where we used all of the names. Uh, In 2021, we didn't go into the new supplemental list. We got rid of the Greek names this year, but we didn't have to use the new supplemental list we did in 2020. Before that, we hadn't done that, that until 2005. Obviously, the big hurricane was Hurricane Ida and its remnants in New York. I want to get each of your thoughts from your perspectives on the hurricane season. J.D., we'll start with you.
3: Um, for me, it was really, and I think for a lot of us here at the Weather Channel, uh, it was it, the tale of two seasons because it was a very active period uh, at one point in time. And then it was almost just like we cut the faucet off. It was just like, we're done now. Um, And there was no gradual tapering off. There was no like, okay, we got a lot of storms now. Medium amount, a low amount. No, we were just done. And so I think that was kind of unusual for us. And I I think with the other thing that was unusual, particularly uh, when talking about Ida and those impacts uh, into the Northeast is just, you know, how many people were affected, but also how many people were caught off guard Um, And it really kind of goes to show that we still have a long way to go in terms of messaging for people who don't live near the Gulf Coast or don't live near the Atlantic Coast in terms of the southern end of it uh, to to tell them that these messages are coming through because we did have, uh, you know, we had wording in the flash flood watches and in the WPC outlooks for that day that said this is going to be a significant situation. We had a high risk in the WPC outlook that day and then to still lose so many people during that event so far away from where the storm made landfall really goes to show you that our messaging really needs to get better. And we've got to get these people who don't live near hurricane prone areas, so to speak, to pay attention to these storms as well. And I think that's what really struck me about Ida in particular, but also, you know, around the hurricane season as a whole, because Fred went into the Northeast, you know, we we had, several systems affect the Northeastern United States this year. So it's, it goes to show you, it's not just one storm like this can happen. This is an area that needs to pay attention to these storms. And I think with the way that we're trending in terms of hurricane activity, this is something we need to pay attention to, especially as we're going forward
2: in time. Uh, You know, I experience hurricane season a lot differently than these guys do. Um, it's, I, I'm talking to emergency managers a lot, um, and, and JD is hundred percent, right? Even, even in hurricane prone areas, uh, I constantly hear from emergency managers about how they are always looking for new ways to to communicate and do I have any ideas? And uh and, and I got a lot of that in the Northeast. I think, you know, New York City Emergency Management, uh, I, I am a fan of and as an organization. Um, but I know that they thought that they were doing a good job and clearly we we lost a lot. Um uh and you know Ida it was the, Ida struck me most because I was on the phone with the the uh police chief for uh grand isle when they lost communication now i knew they were in a safe place and i mean it's you know highly rated um but it was just i was on the phone talking to the man when it cut out and it was just it was a little bit heavier um and i think we saw that in the fact that we couldn't communicate with anybody there for so long yeah so I, I experienced it a lot from that emergency manager side and, and seeing how difficult that communication is and also how difficult it is to provide the relief once that storm has passed.
1: Right. That's a great point. Sarah, your thoughts on the hurricane season, Ida, and anything else related?
0: Yeah. Um, and, and I'll kind of bring in uh, last hurricane season as well, which was also um, quite busy, a busy Sun record. Um you know, the last two years, um, you know, we've seen a lot of extreme events, right? We've seen like high-end events. You know, we had several storms last year that rapidly intensified and did so prior to landfall. So they were hitting at maximum intensity, whether it be on Yucatan Peninsula, like a couple of storms did last year, or on the southeastern United States, which some did last year, and then Ida did this year as well. I mean, I remember waking up and I'm getting chills now thinking about like when I woke up that morning, because we, we kept saying it, right? We were like, the atmosphere is primed for Ida to potentially strengthen. It's going to happen. We're just, we're waiting it out, right? We're just letting the clock tick by. It's going to happen probably. And we wake up to worst fear realized, you know, and the sun rises to this massive, almost annular hurricane, category five, you know, near, you know, approaching category five status headed right for Louisiana, um, which is, you know, it, that Southeastern United States is very vulnerable to storm surge. And when you see these magnitudes of storms coming through that can bring a lot of water and wind impacts and heavy rainfall, you know, that just kind of gives you a pit in your stomach and, you know, you hate to be covering it and it's, it's tough, right, you're fascinated by the meteorology of it all, but at the same time, you know that this is really not good for what's about to happen. And this year and last year, we saw what happens when you have infrastructure that may or may not be prepared to withstand these kinds of extreme events. We've seen extreme events on the rise, right? And just like, you know, the numbers of billion-dollar disasters we've seen in the last few years, you know, we just keep seeing a lot each year. These disasters that cost over at least a billion dollars. And, you know, in a place like New York City, you know, we saw what it's like to have a high end event that should not occur with much frequency, but a very high end event over a high populated, highly populated area. And when those two things meet and you're not built to withstand, you know, I, I hesitate to say built to withstand that, but you're not used to that. Right. You don't know how to handle an event like that. It's hard to plan for something you've never seen before. Right. And I think that's what people are struggling with. They're like, we didn't know it was going to be this bad because we haven't really seen it be that bad in a place like New York City before. So it was the closest corollary. So it's very difficult going into, you know, each of these hurricane seasons and even, you know, weather in general, right? Because we just see these things happen more and more. uh, And then we just see the devastation that occurs afterwards. So like, you know, JD and Josh mentioned with messaging, we still have a lot of work to do. The forecasts are, are pretty good as far as tracks are concerned. Intensity, we still struggle with, as we know, because you have a lack of observations over open oceans in that regard. Um, but yeah, we're working to make progress, but we, we still have a long way to go. And I think that's apparent each time we have these events.
1: Yeah, absolutely. On this very podcast, Louis Uccellini, director of the outgoing director of the National Weather Service, said we we, we could forecast the amount of rain, but we're not used to forecasting three inches of rain in one hour in New York City which is what we saw. These are anomaly events. So I think we all at times can have normalcy biases where we're sort of say, well, I've seen these types of things. We haven't, a lot of what we're seeing now we haven't seen. And and so it it does create a, a challenge for us. Um, I, I've often said we've got to have a new playbook. I mean, when we think about Ida, I know the governor and the mayor in New Orleans and others are struggling with how, um, you know, whether the call for mandatory evacuations and they need 48 hours, 72 hours. I've been told by some of those emergency managers and folks that Josh talked about. Um, The reality is we may be in an era where we're going to see more of these rapidly intensifying storms, you know, and you wake up to a Cat 4, went to bed to a Cat 1, and so I just think we have to think about a new playbook. Uh, Anything else, and again, uh, I I think the points you made about uh, these events far from the coast are important. Anyone, anything else in the hurricane season catcher? I know one thing that caught my eye is that you had Ida in the Gulf region, and the year before you had Laura and you had several other um, storms in the Gulf region over the last two years, but just to the magnitude of Laura and Ida alone back to back to me was astounding. Any other things that catch your eye about the 2021 hurricane season beyond the fact that it was as predicted busy uh, and we had a very high impact event in Ida, but there were some other events that I think JD or someone mentioned that were also cumulatively a problem, but any other final thoughts on the hurricane season?
3: I think it was, uh, we did a poll on Weather Underground uh, a few weeks before this was recorded. So we're talking um, mid-November, right before the hurricane season ended. And granted, this is an unscientific poll of Twitter users. So keep that in mind here. But we asked our viewers, you know, how would you rate this hurricane season? And we gave them options. Was it underwhelming, as expected, or was it overwhelming? And the vast majority actually said underwhelming. So uh, I think we need to also realize that the public's perception of this isn't the same as ours. We're looking at we ran out of names on the list. We didn't have to go to the new one, but we ran out of names. It was well above average. We had all these storms. But I think for a lot of our viewers, a lot of these were, quote unquote, sea storms. They didn't affect land. They were out in the Atlantic. And yes, they helped push us to the record numbers, but the public didn't care about it. And so, because of that, the public Meh. looked at this season and went, "Eh." Yeah. Even, the, even though we had a Category Four hurricane slam into the Gulf Coast to make its way up, you know, into New England, even though we had several storms make landfall earlier in the season, the public's perception at the end of it was, yeah. "Okay, it happened." So, I think that was a very interesting way of looking at it and seeing the, you know, the difference between what meteorologists really see great point. and what the general any
1: public other, sees. Any, any other thoughts there?
0: Yeah, just to wrap that up, um, you know, it's like Dr. Nav always says, and we've talked about this for years on the Weather Channel and every meteorologist that covers these kinds of events, you know, busy doesn't necessarily mean a lot of landfalls. Busy means a lot of storms. Impactful means something different, right? You can have a quiet season that is very impactful. Hurricane Andrew, the first storm was the A storm in August, and that was one of the only big storms that year really but it was Andrew so it was a impactful hurricane season in that regard all in all it might not have been busy but it was impactful so that's why we always promote you know the it only takes one for you to have a bad hurricane season so it's like like JD said perception isn't always reality in that regard
1: And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. And I'm speaking with Sarah Dillingham, Josh Fexler, and JD Disharoon uh, from the Weather Geeks team, and formerly of the Weather Geeks team, about the 2021 weather season. I want to now just reflect on some high-impact events that we heard a lot about in 2021, one of which was so far back it almost feels like it wasn't this year, with the big winter weather event in Texas and parts of the South. I mean early in the winter. Uh, Also, we've had, I think the lingo has introduced um, something to the public that perhaps we as meteorologists knew about atmospheric rivers. We heard quite a bit about those this year. And of course, the West uh, continued to uh, suffer with drought. We had a significant heat wave in the Pacific Northwest. I want to talk about all of those events today. I want to start with the Event this winter in Texas uh, and in parts of the mid-south uh, east because we saw a polar vortex quote unquote event uh, with an extreme cold event uh, that disrupted power and water supply uh, caused outages. It's what we are now talking about as a compound event. I mean, you've got this extreme weather event that has a compound effects. Josh, I want to come to you on this one because this is an event where we saw. Large populated areas of the United States literally without power for days in some cases and without water. Um, you know what do you what do you see as the implication as we move into an area where you know the weather events are themselves tragic and hazardous enough in the loss of life and infrastructure, but then they have these sustained impacts. What are your thoughts there?
2: Well, I I think. A lot of people tend to forget those sustained impacts. Um, I mean, we're still talking about <clears throat> parts, uh, you know, what needs to change in Texas to fix that problem. Um, and, uh, you know, not specific to Texas or, or any one uh, uh, type of disaster, but FEMA has hundreds of open offices still dealing with things, you know, I, I I could be wrong, but the last time I checked, there was even, even something still open for Hurricane Andrew. Just you know, some some loose ends. But these are long lasting impacts, and I I experience it from talking to. Okay, you know, how can we prevent the power outages? Is that uh, undergrounding lines or is it something else? Well, if we move to renewables, and it's you know all these storms and the the ice. Um, I, I think you, you you nailed it. It's those lingering effects. It takes a while. I, you know, someone once joked that the mayor of uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana, was going to be at Thanksgiving dinner because I was talking to him so often. Yeah, there were some the back-to-back storms, but there, you know, it was a month before they had the clean water and they're working on this and then they get it again and, you know it takes a while both both structurally and you know emotionally for for the people living there
1: yeah and by the way the polar vortex you know i think people are familiar with that term now we tend to get these really cold outbreaks in the u.s when the polar vortex actually weakens and you get this sort of cold dense air i, I describe it like maple syrup or pancake syrup, it just literally oozes down into the United States. Uh, it's cold, dense air, as so that fence breaks and that cold air comes down. And so that's kind of what we saw uh, with that event as well. Sarah, Sarah, what are your thoughts on any of those events that I mentioned?
0: Yeah, you know, the, um, the, the winter event in, in the South, you know, that was that was quite unique, right? And it was one of those cases again, where you have you know, an extreme event and like, oh, we've never seen this before. And it's like, well, it does get cold, right? It does get below freezing. But when you have temperatures that are that cold for that period of time, it's not really something that people are used to. Um, it's difficult to plan for that, right? Because it's not something that you can mentally prepare yourself for. I mean, you can talk about worst case scenario and think about it, but like actually thinking you know, actually having it come to pass and really believing that it could come to pass and preparing for such is difficult. Um, you know, and when we have these kinds of events, I mean, you know, honestly, we had such an expansive loss of life in that. And it's like it wasn't just cold, it was deadly cold. And you had people that had no power, they had no other, there was no infrastructure that allowed them to find places with power. Everybody was without power. There were people that, elderly people, that You know didn't have the resources to get out and then unfortunately end up succumbing to the to the cold and and even you know i believe there were some cases of some children who froze to death and it is so tragic you know when you see this and you know as a society we've got to start forcing ourselves to think of what's the worst thing that could happen and i know it's difficult right to to plan for that um but you know we talk about that when it comes to sheltering for tornadoes and severe weather and that kind of thing it really the best way to try to keep, give yourself the most protection is to assume that every single time could be the one, like that tornado warning could be the one that really becomes impactful for you. That particular weather event could be the one that, you know, changes your, your, your life right now. So as much as we don't want to think about that, it is something that we do at least need to try to have in our minds and have a plan. If this were to happen, what are some things that we can do to try to lower our risk because that's that's what we're doing right is trying to reduce our risk to these extreme weather events and understanding that they can happen to you let's identify some of the vulnerabilities and you know just say like well i don't have to prepare for that that's never going to happen um because in a place like texas it did uh, in a place like new york it did um it, you know we just we've just really got to start thinking about um Trying to prepare that. And as we talk about here, you know, bending down our risk curve.
1: Yeah. And I, I think this discussion highlights something that still catches people off guard. The number one killer from a weather perspective in the US every year is extreme temperatures uh hot or cold and i think about the extreme heat and the heat wave in the pacific northwest uh, earlier in the year and you know there were studies that sort of suggested that there was some dna of climate change and not only that heat wave but all the heat waves to come so you yeah, had this extreme cold event in the winter and again we're talking about extremes we're not talking about averages people feel extremes jd your thoughts uh, on uh, the any of the extreme events that uh, we're sort of wrapping in this block right now Uh,
3: Well, the the winter, the cold in Texas, uh, I took a personal note for me because I have family uh, in the North Dallas metro area, and they were affected greatly by this. Uh, I have uh, an aunt and two cousins in their their families and all their friends out there that I've become friends with as well. and. It was just they were telling us, you know, it's not just the weather. It's what the weather is causing. We think of power outages and things like that. But they were telling me they had to go get food and they were waiting in line at the grocery stores for hours in a checkout line just to you know, get the things that they needed for their family. And it, you know, it's a lot of things like that, that we don't think of, in addition to what we're reporting about on air with terms of power outages, deaths, um, the actual temperatures, how long it's gonna last when we can expect relief. Um, So there's a a lot of social and human elements that go into these things as well. I think the other thing that struck me about this year um, was the fact that it, you know, in the hurricane season with Ida to go back to that. But, you know, it proved that if we spend the money on prevention, it saves us money in the long run because we look at how many of these disasters, how many billion dollar disasters do we have every year? And that's on the increase as we've been looking as climate change and we're continuing to get these connections between these weather you know, disasters and what's going on overall with our planet. But, you know, with Ida, we spent how many billions of dollars on updating the levee system around New Orleans and protecting it? And it got smacked by a Category 4 hurricane. And we did not see the images from southern Louisiana that we did after Katrina. There was still death. There was still devastation, but it was not on as much scale. So it, it really kind of showed us that if we put our time and resources into preparing for these events, in the long run, we will save money. Even if we are spending $13 billion on updating the system, compare that with how much, you know, Katrina cost us. Compare it to what these disasters are costing us on a yearly basis. And I think that's one of the things that I yeah, took away I, from this I think year. That's,
1: that's a great point. Prior planning prevents poor performance. That's something that I always tell my kids. It doesn't always resonate when they listen to me, but it's certainly important for them to understand. Uh, But it really this year also is a juxtaposition of extremes. We talked about hot and cold, uh, but we also know that there was significant drought in the West this year. Uh, And then these atmospheric rivers. Josh, I wonder if you found yourself uh, fielding guests or talking to people about atmospheric rivers a lot more this year. It seemed like it was just in the lingo more. I've taught about them for years in my classes at the University of Georgia. Um, but atmospheric rivers, these narrow plumes of moisture that come off of the tropical Pacific and feed into the Western US, they they can account for up to 30% of the annual rainfall total. Uh, But yeah, then you have drought in those regions as well. And it's sort of hard, but we saw both in the West. We saw water uh, supply uh, issues. Um, Did did you find yourself at the Weather Channel fielding these uh, conversations about water on both sides of the ledger too much or not enough? Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. And together.
2: Um, and I actually went back because I've, I, you know, one of the best things for me is, well, I'm not a scientist or meteorologist. I get to learn about all these things from experts. So um, I I learned a lot about atmospheric rivers this year. And I, I did. I, I checked back at previous years uh, since I've been at the Weather Channel and I only found two other guests focused on Atmospheric rivers, or at least from the best I could tell from notes. Um, so yeah, I mean it's a it's a big thing. I've had conversations with people of you know how can why can't we channel all the water that's coming from an atmospheric river to you know Arizona where they're dying for water. You know, um, so it's it's been a, it's been a unique education, and you know there are so many different things in meteorology that that I, I are fascinating. Um, while I hate that it's being treated as, oh, this is something brand new and it's clearly not, I do like the education is being out there. So people can, it's, it's good for people to understand what is happening to them and
1: why. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, you you have some thoughts.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I, you know, we talked about it a lot, right. We had a lot of extreme events, um, extreme events in the U.S. this year, but, you know, and I, I kind of want to go back to the, to the heat and the drought that we've seen in the West, um. You know, we saw all-time record heat uh, in Oregon, for example. Their hottest temperature by a long shot, by like eight or nine degrees, we beat our all-time record in a few days of ex- this extreme heat. You know, and you and again, getting back to the infrastructure argument, right? There, there are some people there that still do not have air conditioning because it typically doesn't get that hot. So uh, again, it's one of those things that the more extreme weather that we're seeing, the more we're gonna have to really start thinking about the unthinkable, right? To try to prepare for that. And you know, like you were talking about the, um, the water crisis in the West, it's still going on, right? And we're still, the good thing is, right? And in, in this time of the year, we, when we get these atmospheric rivers in regard to snowfall, the Sierra can be a big winner here, right? And I know that the forecasts have been talking about, you know, it's maybe as much as six to eight feet of snowfall. That snowfall is like what um, we always refer to as kind of our savings bank um, going into the, the warmer months of the year because it is that snow runoff that becomes our water supplies. And I was kind of revisiting one of our former podcasts with um, Eric Kuhn about some of the water rights issues that we've had uh, with the Colorado River Basin. And we continue to see areas that are um, lower in water. Lake Mead has been struggling with uh, water supplies and before, uh, earlier in the summer, uh, in fall, we were worried about it literally getting so low that you cannot run the turbines at the dam. And so then you're going to have to start um, switching over to different sources of power to try to make up for that energy consumption that you're now or energy production that you're not going to be having possibly through the dam. So we had to really start getting into contingency plans and really thinking about how are we going to handle this? Because this population is going to need water. And that that is, you know, as we've gone further and further in the years and into seeing the impacts of climate change, water is kind of the new oil as far as precious resources is con- are concerned because you know there are towns in South Africa and other places of the world that are already out of water. That is something that we have got to start putting in our minds here in the United States, You know, one of the most prosperous countries in the world, we're having communities that are starting to get concerned about having enough water available. And that it, we have got to, we have got to understand that it can happen to us, because when it does, we're going to have to be prepared and and have something. Um, we're going to have to have a plan in place, right?
1: This is a great point, and I, I know even in November, I saw Tanya Franz, and the meteorologist in charge in Glasgow, Montana, post something about the snowpack for at least for November was behind hopefully it'll ramp up but up through November it was a bit behind and that that is as you just noted Sarah future uh water supply for people also I've been looking at sort of the uh, one month three month outlooks for December January and February and particularly here in December as we approach the holiday season uh the peak of the holiday season really warmer than normal in parts of the mid-U.S. and so forth so just some really strange things JD want to give you the last sort of thoughts and word here as we start to wrap up. We actually may have lost JD because I know he's in the midst of, um, you no, know, he's, he's back. I want, I want to give you the last thoughts here on this. There we go on today, a year's weather. <laughs> you,
3: you know, I think it's, Looking back on everything for me, I, you know, as a meteorologist, I found it all very fascinating because as we've touched on, you know, we had a lot of things this year that were anomalies in terms of not, you know, cold weather in the winter, getting all the way down into Texas. We had a very active, severe weather season uh, lasting all the way until we're recording this into December. We had a very active hurricane season. And, uh, you know, we had a few moments this year where we got to have a little bit of a break in terms of meteorology, where we, you know, so to speak, had high pressure build in. And uh, But at the same time, you know, I think just based on my experiences in the past few years, uh, I think that this is what we're going to just be gearing ourselves up for as we go through the future. So I think we're going to have to just kind of steel ourselves and get ready for more years like this and just kind of keep going. So it's almost like 2021. Yeah, I well, the to do one thing that so. I
1: didn't do at the beginning of the podcast, but if if you can, as we close out here, Sarah, Sarah, Josh, and JD, give the listeners a little bit about where, where what your background is. I know Josh is the non meteorologist of the crew, but I know he's a fellow Florida Stater. So tell us where you did your studies and your background, and where people can find you if you're on social media.
0: Yeah, sure. uh, I may, yeah. oh, sorry oh, sorry <laughs> go ahead Josh, Josh
1: Sarah and then J- JD right? my sorry, dad that was ahead. a host paw, paw there. <laughs> uh,
2: so yeah I'm, I'm I'm a fellow no um my my background is actually in sports radio. Um, I, uh, I, as a little kid, I wanted to, my brother and I agreed that we would own the Yankees when we got bigger, got older. Uh, clearly that didn't work out. So I decided to follow up on our second uh, agreement, which is we would never wear a suit to work every day. And so I got into sports radio or I could wear shorts to work uh, a lot. Um, and then uh, I'm, I, I grew up here in Atlanta and my you know, sports radio career took me all over the country, Denver, LA, Houston. Uh, and I came back here, um, back home to see, to be with family. And uh, uh, the Weather Channel is my favorite job that I've had in my career. It is, it's a lot of fun and I get
1: to learn a lot. Yeah. I, yeah, That's awesome. Sarah.
0: Yeah. So, um, well, I've always loved weather, you know, even as a kid, um, it, it was funny my first impression with weather was I was scared of it, you know, when I was about five or six years old and probably a couple of years older than that too. Like I was scared of thunderstorms, you know, so if there were storms at night, you know, and I would come into my parents' bedroom can I sleep with you? Cause I was, I was scared. I didn't understand them, you know, but then that, that uh, fear became fascination. And then uh, from that moment on, I, you know, I, I was just fascinated by storms and wanted to learn as much about them as possible. Um, nowadays, that's very easy. You can just Google YouTube and, and, you know and google things and tornadoes and learn a lot um so um so i decided i wanted to be a meteorologist when i was a teenager um and then uh, i completed uh, my undergraduate at university of georgia in March. March no, you were just coming online i, was I know right <laughs> you were just coming online then so i got to see one presentation from you and then i was off to texas tech for graduate school which i you mentioned that's where i um uh, received my master's degree uh, in atmospheric sciences, um, and thankfully, during that time there, I was able to participate in the Vortex-2 project uh, for the 2009 and 10 seasons, uh, which as many meteorologists know, uh, was a um, scientific community-wide experiment to study tornadoes. So uh, I worked with the Texas Tech StickNet team deploying instruments in front of supercells trying to capture that mesocyclone and see exactly what's happening there. So. Um, I really had a great time with that. I did some local TV um, in Lubbock, Texas, and then moved to CNN as a weather producer where I interned while I was also in college. And then uh, recently, as you know, just the Weather Channel for the last eight and a half years. And then just for the last three weeks or so, uh, I've now moved on to IVHS. So um, it's, it's been an interesting career so far. I have learned so much from so many around me. Um, I'm very grateful for those opportunities and the people that I have met along the way. Um, but now I get to see um, the disasters from the other side and hopefully try to help prevent them. So I'm really excited about what's next.
1: And where are you on Twitter and social media? I know you're out there.
0: Yeah. um, On Twitter, uh, you can find me at Sarah Dillingham. That's probably the the best way to find me. Um, And then I'm also on Instagram as well. Um, I can't remember my name on that one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I never can remember. Feel
0: free to follow me on Twitter.
1: though. JD, uh, give us a little bit about your background.
3: Uh, I think like most meteorologists, you know, I I grew up with weather events in my childhood that kind of shaped my my future there. And growing up in metro Atlanta during the time that I did, which was the late 80s all the way through the 90s. You know, we had what we call the blizzard of 93. You know, we had Hurricane Opal move through. We had flooding from Alberto. Uh, You know, we've had massive droughts. Uh, I remember one point they were actually counting down to where the city of Atlanta could run out of water because we hadn't gotten rain. So, you know, growing up with all of these events kind of shaped me to want to become a meteorology. So I went to Georgia Tech, uh, graduated with a degree in earth and atmospheric sciences, and then started my way into the broadcast field. And I I did behind the scenes for, you know, CNN and CBS before moving on air and then bounced around, like I mentioned earlier. So started off in Macon, Chattanooga, and then New Orleans, and then up to Minnesota and Minneapolis. Before coming back to Atlanta. So I, one of the things I wanted to do as a broadcaster was to get uh, a variety of different experiences. So, you know, I got the hurricane training down in New Orleans and I got the the winter weather in Minneapolis along with the, the polar vortex up there. And by the way, when you say it oozes <laughs> in like molasses, that's what it feels like when you're outdoors and the wind chill is negative 45. You know, <laughs> so, you know, it's just kind of I, I want to experience as much as I can. And I think that's what's going to shape me going into the future as well, because there's still a lot of weather events I haven't seen that I still want to get to do. So, you know, that's that's me. As for Twitter and Instagram, uh, it's I would say it's easy because it's just my name. It's at Jason Disharoon, but Disharoon is not a common name. But yeah, are you, you out
2: it on Twitter dramatic. or
1: social media anywhere publicly?
2: I am the worst Twitter follow of all time because I uh, I use Twitter to track down guests ah uh, okay if you follow me you'll just say hey I'm Josh from the weather
1: channel <laughs> <laughs> well very good and and on that note uh, I want to thank each of you for uh, coming on and reflecting on the year uh it's been a tough year I mean meteorologically some really strange uh, anomalous extreme things happen but I never forget that these events impact people in their lives and their livelihoods and their families. And so, on behalf of all of us at weather geeks and the Weather Channel, I mean, we really are, we, we're here, we hear you, we're with you. Um, you know, our thoughts are with you for anyone that has uh, experienced these tragedies. And the Weather Channel is there uh, to keep you alerted of what's going on. So continue to tune in. I know all the folks there. Uh, in fact, I want to dedicate the, this Weather Geeks Geek of the Week to all the folks at the Weather Channel. and Collectively, our Geek of the Week this week because I know everyone there for the most part, and and, and they're there to save lives and property and and do right by you know, people that are watching them. So on behalf of uh, the Weather Geeks team. Uh, Brian Kaczynski, are you on? Can you hear me? Uh, I, I want to give a shout out to Brian here. Uh, I why don't can't you hear say you. hello? Thank you, Mark. Yeah, Brian's, he's someone that you don't often hear about, but he's another key part of the Weather Geeks team. So I just wanted him to come on and say hello and just thank you for what you've done for the for the year. We've got plenty of good stuff coming for the podcast, but we're wrapping up for the year. So Brian, just say hello and, t- and tell people what you do for the, the, the podcast here real quickly. Well, thank you, Marshall. My name
2: is Brian Kaczynski. I'm a post-production editor at the Weather Channel. And uh, my role in Weather Geeks is to record the show. I do the editing. Uh, I publish the show. Uh, So whenever you hear it, I've touched it.
1: (laughs) That's correct. (laughs) And we couldn't do it without um, Brian and uh, and some of his other colleagues as well. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Everyone have a happy holiday and a great 2022. Uh, And continue to listen to us on Weather Geeks. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. (laughs) AutoTrader.